Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. We have climbed to the razor's edge today. We are at the teetering point now. The slightest breath at our backs and we'll be hurled headlong into Good Friday. Everything's been set in motion and the Son of God is most certainly going to die at the hands of wicked men and darkness will cover the earth. That's what today is all about. This shift on Palm Sunday from the triumphal cries of glory and victory into the Passion Gospel and what is coming. Why did the eternal word need to become man and die for us to be saved? If he needed to die, why the cross as the instrument of his torture? There are a million ways he could have died. Why not some other more humane, less hideous way? This is what St. Paul's point is when he says to the Philippians, he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Could God not just forgive us our sins and be done with it? Why all of this unpleasantness? Was God incapable? of showing us mercy without the death of his son. Did the death of his son do something for God? Change him in some way? Provide him with some thing that he needed in order to release us from the debt of sin? These and so many other questions often frustrate our attempts to resolve the foolishness and the weakness of the cross. I mean, how could one member of the Trinity become man, born of a woman, grow, mature, learn, suffer, and then die the most vulgar and ignoble death? How is this possible? All of this foolishness, we call it a triumph and a glory. It is adored by Christians as sublime and beautiful and majestic. Further, the abject weakness of the passion, the contemptible humiliation and destruction of a human man said to be God is also seen by us as a great victory, a, a military victory, a triumph, an overthrow of an ancient enemy, of the very power of death, the kingdom of darkness. The corrupt world has been vanquished by this weak, and foolish man. Headline in the Judean Post. Bastard Nazarene is crucified and kills death. That's the foolishness of our gospel. Of our faith. And its weakness. The foolishness which we worship. Is also described by us. As a sacrifice. Offered to the deity. Not an ox or lamb or turtle dove is immolated, but a man. 
is sacrifice to God. Considering the passion as sacrifice, we may ask, if all that was needed was the pure blood of this holy man to effect a reconciliation, then why not a more humane and sanitized death? But apparently that would not do. Rather, he was brutally tortured, humiliated, shamed, beyond what we are really truly capable of understanding in our day and time, apart from a gift of the Spirit. Was the brutality somehow pleasing to God the Father? The whole enterprise of Roman crucifixion was designed and meticulously executed in order to utterly dehumanize the victim, to strip them of any shred of human dignity, to strip them bare, to make them nothing more than rotting flesh, which would be discarded as refuse. The way a person died on the cross was actually eventually under their own weight. They became their own executioner. There have been many other examples in history of the attempt to dehumanize, but never, never so successful as Roman crucifixion, and never upon the one true human being. Not only is Jesus' death a sacrifice to God the Father, but even more strangely, foolishly, he's the priest who offers it. The eternal word made flesh. He is the high priest of humanity who reconciles man to God through a sacrificial offering which is pleasing to God. He's not only the priest, he's the victim. More foolishness. He who is one with the Father offers himself, son of man, to himself, holy God, on behalf of his brethren, which is in a way himself. To add to the humiliating shame of the crucifixion, of this human sacrifice, he was crucified among thieves and malefactors, one to his right and one to his left. He right there, square in the middle, as one of them. He, one of the lowlights of the earth. He identified among them as a scoundrel and a villain. From every angle, this event which we adore, is foolish and weak beyond words. It is a mockery of good sense and decency. One of the persons of the Trinity became flesh and blood and died. All the while, never being separate from the triune Godhead. Never separated, and yet dejected and alone, cursed, Entering death, feeling alone, suffering as if alone, but not alone. It is important at this point, I think, to interject a little Trinitarian dogma. The persons of the Trinity are distinct but never separate. Everything God does is done by the three persons in perfect unity. This is especially important to remember when speaking of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The failure to keep this simple doctrine of God in mind has had devastating effects on the Christian understanding of the atonement. 
There is this strange idea that the son's death affects a change in God the Father by somehow soothing his wrath. This is to introduce um, separation within God himself. One person of the Trinity changes another person of the Trinity in order to make us acceptable to God. Well, that's a problem. That's not our faith. That is to reduce the great mystery of our salvation to something unacceptable. But the opposite mistake, the reaction to that, is to fail to understand how God the Son can offer himself to God the Father as pleasing sacrifice and so effect man's reconciliation to God. That is our faith. And how can this be? Just because the death of the Son of God upon the cross is utterly foolishness and weakness according to man's understanding, it does not mean that we cannot make some sense of it because we have the mind of Christ. Because God is the truth and the only one who is sensible. His ways are rational. Only his ways are rational. Everything else is irrational. And so, we can begin, in some measure, to answer some of these questions that I have posed. To give some sense, some accurate, rational, logical, cognitive description of the sense of the cross and Christ's atoning work. But only to a degree. The cross can be sensible to us inasmuch as such a great mystery of love and salvation enacted by the Almighty God Himself on behalf of rebellious mud creatures can be sensible to said mud creatures. But we must try. We must try. We were built to try. We must say something. We must follow the thread as long as we can. It is our joy to do so. And we hope to follow this thread that I've sort of pulled from the cloth, start to unravel for us this morning, to follow this thread throughout this week as we look at some of these questions that have been posed this morning over the next few days. But when we come to the end of the thread and our sensible descriptions of the passion of our Lord, all that's left for us to do is fall down, worship in adoration, to worship the absolute beauty of God's love for us. We just will fall down and give thanks. We'll fall down and embrace the very same cross our Savior hung on, that's our foolishness. We are called to be fools for Christ. Fools in the sight of the world. Fools in the reaction of our own demanding flesh. Fools because we've been caught in this love of God. And we've seen a kingdom, not of this world, which promises everlasting joy. We are fools because we cling to a cross. Because we know that it's the only way that we shall eventually share in the glory and power 
of his resurrection. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.